Turn with me, if you would, to page 74 of the Pew Bibles, or in your own Bible, to everyone's favorite book to do some Bible study on, the book of Leviticus. And we'll turn to chapter 9, and we'll do a little little close reading. Well, we won't read that close, but I want to read you a a section. So read with me, if you would. It is Leviticus chapter 9, and we'll begin at verse 15. This is the action of the temple, or in this case, at this time, the tabernacle, the movable temple uh, that they had, the, the Israelites had with them. Uh, and this is with Aaron the high priest and his sons assisting. Now, at this point in the text, Aaron and his sons have already offered their own offerings on behalf of themselves, making them fit vessels to serve in the tabernacle for the people. Then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning. (coughs) Excuse me. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings which were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar, and the fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail, which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and they put the fat on the breasts. Then he burned the fat on the altar, but the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses had commanded." We have here the beginning of the formal tabernacle temple worship system in this chapter. Please note the number and the names of the burnt offerings. Not because we're going to cover them all today, but it's worth noting. We have five named. And this is just, um, there are many, many more for various reasons and times and seasons of the year. But this is the general. We have the sin, the whole burnt, the grain, the peace, and the wave offering. Uh, And that's not necessarily a different animal for each one, but that's how the text lays it out for us. This is the order for the normal tabernacle or temple worship. To start with, the very first thing we see is the sin offering. You can't come before God without a sacrifice for sin. There are multiple occasions for confession in our liturgy. But Lord, have mercy is one of the first things we say in the liturgy as a people. And you can even look earlier than that, and we have um, an acknowledgement of sin and of God's grace. Next in our text from Leviticus comes the whole burnt offering. And this is what I'd like to focus on this morning. The worshiper brought the whole burnt offering to the tabernacle, And says scholar Alan Myers, while standing there, the worshiper was to lay his hands on the head of the sacrificial animal, offering an explanation for the sacrifice and perhaps accompanied by a psalm. It was only after this act that the offering was found acceptable, perhaps acknowledged by priestly words of assurance. Then the worshiper 
was required to kill the offering. And as we would say in uh, Lake Almanor, to butcher it. Or to cut it up into the pieces, the various pieces that would be used in the formal liturgy. Did you hear that part? If you were coming to the tabernacle or the temple, you were going to do the killing. That makes it very, very personal. And that laying on the hands of the animal. Hmm. Now you can imagine for a moment that this is not unlike Adam and Eve as they see these animals which Adam has named. He's given each of these animals a name. This is a part of his, the God's creation and of Adam's uh, rule and dominion from the beginning. And now because of sin, this animal that he named, that he was to rule over, to have dominion over, to protect, to care for, to shepherd, has been slaughtered. And the animal's skins are now his clothing. So there's a connection between what we just read and, and that, I think, as well, um, metaphorically or imagistically, if you will. And the priest from Leviticus chapter 1, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And so this whole burnt offering is connected to the, to the offerer because he lays his hand on his head and he makes this connection. And we'll see a little bit more later. And then the whole thing, after he butchers it, the whole thing then goes up to smoke to God. In other words, in another image from contemporary life, it's like a barbecue. Like that sweet smelling, or when you, when you go up to a barbecue place that's been there for 100 years and you go inside and the whole inside is black because of the smoke, right? And we went to a place like this in Alabama. And I'm like looking around, it's like the whole plate, there's no paint on the walls, it's just blackened from smoke. And the smell, right? And you're, mm. I think that's part of the image of a sweet smelling aroma to God. We want God, the Old Testament worshiper wants God to accept this sacrifice. A sweet smelling savor. Myers continues. By entering the forecourt of the temple or tabernacle, wherein the Lord was believed to dwell, the worshiper literally presented himself before the Lord and as an expression of surrender or dedication. In other words, he's bringing this animal and his whole action from beginning to end is, here am I, God, I am yours. I am dedicating myself to you. And the ultimate expression of that is this animal that dies and is burned up to God. And there's an identification of the animal and the worshiper. This is self-oblation. Oblation is a gift to God in worship. And we have that word also all over that time period and later. Um, you will hear about uh, in the pagan 
worship all the time in the, in the Greek worship, you would have an oblation of wine. They would literally pour a bottle of wine out or flagon out on, they probably didn't bottle it back then. Uh, they would pour it out onto the altar of the god or goddess that they were worshiping. This shouldn't be a surprise that the pagans are using similar types of actions to appease their gods. For God has set up a system from the beginning to a way back to him from the fall. There's always a way back. There's also, until the time of Christ, a big warning because the tabernacle itself has a curtain around it. And what's woven into the curtain? A cherubim with a flaming sword. Which is a reminder of what God placed at the entrance to Eden. In other words, you ain't getting back through here. And the tabernacle curtain was a reminder of that to the people of God. Yet, the front door of the curtain, maybe we should say it was partially open. Now, the only person to go in there into the Holy of Holies was the high priest once a year. And remember when Moses came to Mount Sinai, the people of God, Deuteronomy says, the people of God went to the mountain to meet with God. But who was the only one person that actually met with God at the closest? Moses. But the people were said to meet with God. That was the way that God set it up. There was a mediator working with them. The New Testament is a little bit different, isn't it? Because Jesus, the, the temple veil tore, was torn in tune at his crucifixion. Jesus made a way for all of us to enter into the Holy of Holies. But even in our formal worship, we still have a celebrant who is acting on behalf of God to the people and on behalf of people to the God. The words that I speak when I'm turned and facing you, when I'm the celebrant, I'm speaking the words of God to you. And when I'm turned facing the altar, I'm speaking the words of the people to God. Lest I get off on a rabbit trail. Going back to Myers. The worshipers literally presented himself before the Lord as an expression of surrender or dedication of offering. The laying on of hands is, before he killed the animal, right? The laying on of hands is to be understood as the transference of the sinful disposition of the worshiper, the offerer, onto the sacrificial animal, thereby making it possible for the animal to take that person's place and to give the animal wholly consumed by God. And so as God consumes the smoke of the offering, the imagery is that God is consuming the sinner and the worshiper, the sinner who's been made righteous at some level by the sin offering, has now offered himself up to God, and God has received that offering. It's a little difficult to do it one-to-one -one because then you're no longer here. You know, you're going to die if you're going to offer yourself a burnt offering in that way. Remember that death. Now, if you would, turn to our epistle lesson on page 764 of the Pew Bibles. This is St. Paul's letter to the church in Rome. 
And it begins at the beginning of chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, says St. Paul to the Roman Christians, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Sound familiar? This is St. Paul using the Old Covenant worship pattern to establish the New Covenant equivalent of the whole burnt offering. The beautiful thing about our participation in the whole burnt offering today is that it's a living sacrifice. Why can it be a living sacrifice? because the once-for-all bloody sacrifice has already taken place. Jesus has offered himself as our, our whole burnt offering, as all the offerings together in one, at one time. And so now we imitate him. We offer ourselves to God. Here is the altar, my friends. What is an altar for? It's for sacrifice. Is it also a table? Yes. Let's not get into this argument. Table, altar, table, altar. It's both. It is a place to commune with God because it's a table, but it is also an altar whereupon we offer sacrifice. I won't go into it now, but there are many sacrifices that we make every time we come to the, t- to the table. All right? And one of the sacrifices to be made is the self-oblation of each of us. And you remember, I just talked to a Protestant, if you have any doubts, there are, we are all priests and kings to God. That doesn't mean that you don't have a priest who's doing the work of the tabernacle. By the way, that is a quote from, I think St. Peter quotes it from Exodus. I'm not going to remember the reference. Where the Old Testament people of God are called to be a kingdom of priests and kings to God. Well, Does that mean the Old Testament Levitical priesthood is done away with when they arrive at that moment? No, no. But this is an offering that I can say the words for, but if you don't offer yourselves to God in your heart, in your mind, then those words are just my words. They're not effectual until you offer yourself to God in worship. We'll get back to that. And by the way, back to sacrifice. In the Old Covenant, if you were to be the whole burnt offering as we are in the New Covenant system, you'd be dead. There's a sense in which, in our baptism, we die. And we are born again to new life. And that new life is meant to be a life of carrying a cross. And the cross is a sign of death, which became a sign of life. And so the Celts had this idea of a red martyr and a white martyr way, way back in the early church in the British Isles. And the white martyr was the martyr who did not spill his blood for Christ, but served as a martyr every day, dying to himself and living to Christ and living for his brethren and those that don't know Christ. 
So, yes, this oblation of the Old Testament converted or made, you know, we see the equivalent in the New Testament, is a living sacrifice, but it is a life lived out in service. It is a life of sacrifice. St. Paul in Romans 12 uses the Greek word that is the usual one for the presenting of sacrificial animals at the altar. So you see he's going back into the old covenant system and pulling up the imagery. Let us cross-reference the apostle's letter to the Colossians, quote, in the body of his flesh through death to present, the same word used in our epistle lesson, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And also in the same um, epistle, same letter, quote, him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Same word that he uses in Romans 12. This word translated as present is exactly the word used of presentation of an offering. Another scholar notes that for St. Paul in Romans 12, our bodies are here specified with reference to the bodies of victims which were offered in the old ritual. Our scholar continues, and I'll close with this quote. The bodies of Christians are members of Christ, temples of the Holy Ghost, consecrated to God and to be devoted to his service. And not in heart only, but an actual life, of which the body is the agent we are to offer ourselves after the example of Christ. Your reasonable service must be taken in opposition to present your bodies rather than to sacrifice, it being the act of offering and not the thing offered that constitutes the worship. It's the action of presentation, not the actual thing you're presenting that constitutes the action of worship. The Greek word for worship and service is especially used for the ceremonial worship of the Old Testament. The ceremonial worship of the Old Testament was meant to be, don't, don't forget, it was meant to be worked out in a life devoted to God. Just as recently, last Sunday, on the circumcision of Christ, we, we read reference in the Old Covenant that circumcision was to be a circumcision of the heart, right? It was meant to imply a change in disposition of character and, and, and reference to God rather than to the world and to selfish sin. So the ceremonial worship of the Old Testament was meant to be worked out in a life devoted to God. St. Paul here emphasizes that point. We are to present ourselves as an act of oblation and worship in our ceremony today. And it is found on page 81, I believe, in our prayer book in the liturgy today. Don't miss it when we, when we go by it today. But then we are all to live out that act of worship. We are to leave this place being sent forth to 
to live out that act of oblation here on the altar. It's a both and, just as the Old Testament was a both and. The differences are many, but in Christ all things are made new, to summarize. So that even the Old Testament worship is not obliterated, but made new in Christ. And thus, our liturgy, modeled after the Old Covenant worship system, our liturgy is to be enacted here with mind, heart, body, soul, all of us, and then to walk, at, walk out that act of oblation into the world and live it every moment. No, none of us is good enough to do that every moment. But as we grow, hopefully more moments in a row than before, right? Before we have to offer up a confession and seek God's forgiveness. May it be so for all of us today and every day for the rest of our lives. Amen. Amen.